world needs the church now more than at any other point in our lifetime. The city of Denver and its surrounding communities, our nation, the poor and the marginalized at home and abroad, our mission partners here and globally, all have suffered tremendous hardship this year. Yet in the midst of such darkness, the light of Jesus has never shined brighter. Because of God's blessing through the generosity of our church family, we've not only been able to thrive, but to give abundantly, to ease the suffering of the most vulnerable, the hungry, the widowed and orphaned, the imperiled and enslaved. By God's grace, we've had the opportunity this year to express Jesus' kindness and compassion, to demonstrate the hope of our Savior to an ever-increasingly hopeless world. Our faith in Jesus is the common thread that binds us together in holy communion with the family of God's people reaching around the globe. The 2020 Legacy Fund allowed Denver United to respond in real time to the constantly changing conditions as needs arose. In India, we partnered with Kathleen Home for Children to distribute food supplies to 1,500 families, a country hit hard by food shortage due to COVID lockdowns. Through our partner with Alpha Relief, we provided two meals a day for a month for 15 families in the rural regions of Pakistan, families that were literally starving to death. This year, Lebanon was rocked by protests, economic turmoil, currency collapse, strict COVID lockdowns, and finally, a devastating explosion which caused immense destruction, injury, and loss of life. Denver United was able to be on the front lines responding immediately through our existing partners in Beirut. Horizons International brought necessary disaster relief in the form of basic food, hygiene, medical supplies, along with much needed technology. In the poorest regions of Africa, Asia, and South America, with Hope International, we were able to provide immediate relief for needs, also providing additional capital for the many entrepreneurs we support in these regions. Through continued partnership with One Child, we were able to come alongside and help the thousands of children in their program who did not have sponsors due to COVID. We also were able to provide relief to families facing extreme crisis. We engaged on the front line in the battle against the scourge of sex trafficking in India where we partnered with New Horizon House, which shelters and cares for over 38 girls from 12 to 18. We also confronted the horrors of sex slavery on the home front through Covered Colorado's Safe Night Fund for trafficking survivors. Locally, we've invested in the at-risk youth in our own neighborhoods. Coming alongside Asbury Elementary, Math and Science Leadership Academy, and DCIS Fairmont by providing much-needed food, supplies, and technology for distance learning. We strengthened our relationship with our partner community of South High School by joining forces with Denver Metro Young Life, a ministry to our ethnically and culturally diverse youth living in disadvantaged neighborhoods. We opened our doors for some amazing kids with bright futures to meet in a safe, caring environment, to have fun, grow, and experience the love of Jesus. And finally, through Legacy, we've been able to wrap around strategic local church partners, launching in the Denver metro region, to continue to bring the hope of the gospel to our post-Christian city. Church, Scripture teaches that the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
This year was tumultuous, and yet Jesus' light has shined brightly through your faithful and humble generosity. Let us continue to shine brightly in this coming year. house to house this morning as well, whether we're together or apart in this strange year, we get to worship God as one family, and I think that's always worth celebrating. I want to say thank you to all of you who were a part of the outreach yesterday. Our Thanksgiving City engagement is our biggest of the year, and here is, this is Legacy Sunday, uh, what better time to highlight the opportunity to leave a legacy and use some of the resources that we store up at this time each year. 200 plus families in our area have the opportunity to have a Thanksgiving dinner, know that they're valuable and loved by God. Incredible work. The thing was a well-oiled machine, so thanks to all of you for making that happen. Just this past week, as you may have heard in the news, Nicaragua endured their second horrible, devastating uh, hurricane in as many weeks. And so our missions partner there in Nicaragua on the ground, Mountain Gateway, sent us the opportunity to be there in real time with relief and aid. And we were able to send thousands of dollars same day. And this is what Legacy is all about. This is Legacy Sunday. It's one of my favorite of the year. And it's the time that we pool our resources and begin the holiday season, not by getting sucked into the despair of this year or the materialism of Christmas time every year, but instead by choosing to give and endowing our church family with the opportunity to be generous throughout the year on every occasion when needs arise, disaster strikes, or new opportunity for incredible good comes onto our radar. And this year, in a year not only of hardship in a variety of ways socially, but for many in a year of financial hardship when nonprofit charitable giving is down the world over. This year, we've given away as a church family far more than ever before. I can't wait for our end of year accounting to be able to give you clear numbers on that, but we've given away vastly more than ever before this year because of your generosity and worship giving. And so today, we kick off the holiday season as we culminate our series called Legacy, where we look at um, what it looks like to live a life that leaves a legacy. You know, in 2016, I took a trip that summer to East Africa to explore an idea and recon uh, a new partnership opportunity. From the beginning, when Mari and I were conceiving Denver United, we had the idea of a partnership that would be something like the many wonderful child sponsorship organizations, but with the twist that in addition to your family sponsoring your child in whatever nation of the world, we as a congregation, all who were willing, could sponsor a child in the same village and effectively wrap around that community and form a partner community. Well, we had that idea. We're looking for a ministry and a place in the world that was... Uh, conducive to creating that partnership and found ourselves in the nation of Ethiopia. I was with Pastor Daniel and we spent three days with a number of different projects through a promising organization called One Child that creates those child sponsorship opportunities young enough in their organization's history like our own that the concrete was still wet and they were able to contemplate a customized arrangement such as we envisioned. Well, the kids were wonderful and while we went there 
to explore the partnership, looking at this local church there in Ethiopia that out of the goodness of their heart had opened up their meager facilities to children in their community. And this facilitating organization, One Child, brought in staff to supplement the church and they were using the, what we would consider vastly inadequate, physical plant of that church and open land to facilitate over a hundred kids growth and redemption in life and in Christ. Uh, nutrition, health care, clean water, job skills training, education, and of course discipleship in Jesus with an opportunity to transform their lives and their community in their generation. Incredible ministry. But while I went there looking for a strategic partnership, what I found instead was a kid named Matios. I asked the pastor of the church there, the kids that you're able to take from the community, limited by the amount of facilities you have, are at least all these kids sponsored, probably? And he said, yes, I think all, but maybe a few that have come in recently, checked their books and found out there was one child that was unsponsored. And so I, I met that child, sweetest little boy. He ended up following me around, not knowing, maybe he did know, and, and this was his opportunity to get sponsored, I don't know, but sat on my lap all day. And I I got preoccupied, right? I was looking for a, a strategy, a way forward for the vision, which indeed we found. But what I discovered instead was the opportunity for a child to come into our family. And from across the miles over the last five years, Matios has been part of our family. We pray for him like we pray for our own kids. And supporting him has been a joy. I went home with another family member, and discovered that that willingness, that openness that God asked me to rethink as far as my perspective when I was there, I think that's somewhere close to the heart of what it means to live a blessed life. And that's our title for this morning. We're continuing and concluding our series called Legacy, looking as we have been over the last couple of years at the book of Acts, going through sequentially. We're at the end of Paul's third and final missionary journey. So Acts chapter 20 is where we'll pick up the story and wrap it up here. Paul had decided to sail on past Ephesus. Remember, he had spent three years there, strategic landmark local church in pioneering the church in there in the first century. But he was on his way to Jerusalem and he had his mind set. When we landed at Miletus, it reads, he sent a message to the elders of the church at Ephesus asking them to come meet him. He had a layover there and at least wanted to see them. When they arrived, he declared, you know that from the day I set foot in the province of Asia until now, I have done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. I have endured the trials that came to me from the plots of the Jews. I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. I've had one message for Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and of having faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, now I'm bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. So Paul sees the beginning of the end. But my life, he says, is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. This reads kind of like Paul's eulogy. 
right? Like the final words summing up a life of legacy. And it asks me, I think it asks us this text at this time of this year. What would you like your eulogy to say? No one knows what a day brings. Imagine that our end comes sooner than we expected and we're gathered here in this room and I'm up here and some of you are saying nice words about, or some of your friends are saying nice words about you. What would you like them to say? What would you wish would be the final words spoken at your memorial service? What would you like at the end of all things to be said, to sum up your life? What will your legacy be? Paul's speaking here to legacy without doubt, a life lived with purpose, on mission, and sold out for the kingdom of heaven and the purposes of God. He continues in verse 32, Now I entrust you to God and the message of His grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he set apart for himself. I've never coveted anyone's silver or gold or fine clothes. Makes clear Paul's throwing in a curious inclusion here in his final words. He says, I want you to see, I never mistook the blessing to be about me and getting more stuff and keeping up with the Joneses and having more stature and keeping up with your leading priests. That was never the thing that motivated me, remember? You know that these hands of mine, in fact, have worked to supply my own needs and even the needs of those who were with me. And I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. Here's the last thing he says to them. You should remember this. The words of the Lord Jesus. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus, Paul reminds them, reframes the concept of blessing. And I think as modern Christians, we've experienced a sort of course correction that said we shouldn't be concerned with blessing. We should be in it for Jesus and the poor, and we should deny ourselves and take up our cross. Yes, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. I think that bringing that pendulum back to the middle has been important, necessary, but perhaps we've swung too far in the other direction. Jesus doesn't negate the importance of blessing. He describes a life of blessing, but I think it's important for us to see that while blessing is a big deal to him, we might have misunderstood what he meant by it. He might have had a different idea. Our Christianity has woven into it, and rightly so, the expectation of blessing, but we've been fed from birth that blessing means something perhaps different than Jesus imagined. Do you remember a few years ago, maybe 10, 15 years ago, the prayer of Jabez phenomenon? Anybody have the prayer of Jabez like on their coffee table or on the bedside table in their guest room? It's a perfect guest room bedside table book right? And, and nothing wrong with it. It's right out of scripture. It's great. Basically, here's what it, the prayer of Jabez says in the little book is about, oh, that God would bless me and give me a bunch of stuff and make me a big deal. And that's fine. It's there. But so are lots and lots and lots of other pages that are about other things, right? But man, we latch onto that thing because it somehow is God validating our culture-fed desire for more stuff and more significance, 
and we've called that blessing and God's got something different in mind and perhaps laments that we crave one more Christian rabbit's foot to put in our pocket and hope that it means we'll get even more stuff than the more stuff we have than the vast majority of the rest of the world for the vast majority of human history. We got more stuff than we know what to do with and yet we think blessing is even more stuff. And I think there's nothing wrong with stuff. But Jesus says, hey, blessing might mean something different than you think it means, modern, comfortable Americans. Jesus talked about it a lot. Remember the Beatitudes? Some of his most famous sayings. Blessed are you who are poor, he says in Luke 6, for yours is the kingdom of God. He says a little later, but woe to you who are rich. For you've already received your comfort. It's like Jesus inverts the equation. He doesn't say blessing isn't what you should be after. He says you might be misunderstanding it. Why are the poor blessed? The hungry, the hated, the rejected. He answers, for yours is the kingdom of God. For you will be satisfied. For you will laugh. It would seem that the ones on the outs are not blessed because they don't have, but rather because of what not having affords them. My favorite author, Philip Yancey, put it this way, people who are rich, successful, and beautiful may well go through life relying on their natural gifts. People who lack such natural advantages hence underqualified for success in the kingdom of this world, just might turn to God in their time of need. There's a receptivity, a delight in the good news, a recognition that it is in fact good, that is intrinsic to being one of society's and history's have-nots. And Jesus said in that very central way, you're blessed. Like it or not, we find ourselves on the other side of that inverted equation. Like it or not, we're the rich ones. We see it in our culture and its Judeo-Christian ethical foundation. We tend to remake blessing in our own image, don't we? We confuse it with prosperity, progress, Influence, significance, all of these things are meaningful and not wrong. But I think we might have misunderstood what Jesus had in mind to be the blessed life. See, Jesus understands, right? He understands what it means to be fulfilled. He understands what real living looks like. He's the author of life. He thought of us, created us, and said when he was asked, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I came that you would have abundant life, rich, fulfilling, overflowing life. Jesus knows what it means to live, and Paul reminds them with his final words as a sort of stamp on his legacy there. Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. 
Jesus teaches it. Paul reinforces it. Authentic blessing, Scripture makes clear, flows from living generously. Authentic blessing flows not from getting, achieving, amassing, accruing, but from living from the inside out and from living generously with all that God generously provides. And that's what the legacy offering is all about. Every year we start the holiday season that's so about us and and materialism and the rat race by giving together because of what Jesus said and lived, because of what Jesus knows about what it means to be us. And all the more in 2020 when our eyes have been downcast and many of us needfully focused on ourselves to start the holiday season by giving, This endows us as Jesus' church in accordance with his directions and his promise with the opportunity to be generous whenever opportunity arises. The legacy offering is, above all, completely voluntary. This is your choice. There's no arm twisting, there's no hand wringing, there's no religious chicanery, and there's no money games. This is simply an invitation to be a part of what God does around here. You know, last year, we saw more legacy resources given and set apart and used than ever before in our church's history. Some people gave $10. Some people gave tens of thousands of dollars. God blessed them all the same. And look at the good we've been able to do. Look at how in a time where the hope of so many has grown dim and God has become even more distant to most, look at how we've been able to demonstrate the love of God in so many hopeful and practical ways. So we start the holiday season and end this year by giving and offering together. It's worth noting this is separate from your tithes and offerings. What George uh, invited us to be a part of and led us into as a part of our regular worship. It's not very helpful. I don't know that it's terribly harmful, but it's not very helpful to take what you would ordinarily give and just designate it legacy. That's like robbing Peter to pay Paul, as they say. You know, we're able to say all of what's given through legacy is used not to keep the doors open and the lights on, but to be able to be generous on every occasion, whatever befalls us. And we can do that because of your regular faithful giving. And so please continue to do that. Let this be something sacrificial, if this is how the Lord leads you, that's over and above your normal giving. And please don't feel any pressure, just an invitation. We're going to give this offering together, and here's how we're going to do it. Let's just talk briefly and practically about the kind of generosity that Jesus blesses. Versus the kind of generosity, if you will, that perhaps he does not. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 finds the Apostle Paul doing during these missionary journeys. Remember, he went back through and visited in the second missionary journey many of the churches he founded in the first. And as a part of his revisit, he took a legacy offering of sorts and invited them to be a part of something bigger than themselves because there was a crisis, not totally dissimilar to the geopolitical and economic crisis of 2020 that they were dealing with in the first century and particularly hard hit were the Jewish Christians back in Jerusalem. 
He asks these new Christians, would you be a part of exactly what I'm asking you? Would you be a part of? And so here's some practical instructions he gives. He's writing this letter back to the Corinthians. Remember, he was with them. We looked at that a couple weeks ago. He says, I thought I should send some brothers ahead to make sure the gift you promised is ready. But I want it to be a willing gift, not one given grudgingly. Foremost, the kind of generosity Jesus blesses, it's willing. It's freely given. It's not given under compulsion with arm twisting or pressure. Remember this, he continues, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. Jesus' generosity is also reciprocal. It recognizes this kingdom principle of sowing and reaping. As you sow generously, you will reap generously. And you're like, man, that sounds like karma. No, no, no. Karma sounds like Jesus. Don't mistake that, okay? There are lots of Jesus ideas that are imperfectly interpreted and mislabeled, but this is a Jesus idea. He did not borrow it from the Buddha. That's a good place to chuckle or say amen or something. (laughs) You must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly as we saw earlier or in response to pressure. Listen, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. So giving generously Jesus' way is also cheerful. It's a joy. It's a delight. It's not only not under pressure, but it's not this, well, we're going to clench our fists and grit our teeth and do it because the kingdom needs it. We're going to buckle down and sacrifice. God loves it cheerfully. And we can give cheerfully because we know that God gives freely and willingly to us. Everything we're giving, he first provided us. We're not giving something that otherwise we wouldn't be able to have, right? And he goes on to describe how that works. But it's cheerful. I'll tell you what, I love... I love our giving each month. I, we do our giving automatically. It comes out at the first of the month. Uh, and then I manage my finances, our family's finances with Mint. I love when I go in at the first, into the first week of the month and, and reconcile our, our uh, finances and see that our tithe and our offerings each month for Matios' care and missionary support and our tithe to God through our church family. I love seeing those come out. It delights me. I don't it partly it delights me because I'm not thinking, gosh, how am I going to feed my family now that we've tithed? We've never not fed our family, and God has always increasingly generously provided. Now, that doesn't mean there haven't been tight times, but giving cheerfully is the generosity that Jesus blesses. And God will generously provide all you need, he continues. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. And so there is a component of kingdom generosity that is also, listen, expectant. God will also provide. Now, that expectancy has been super elevated above the other qualities of kingdom generosity in the prosperity expression of the American gospel. And I think that's adulterated the gospel just a little bit and caused some of us to recoil. But we should give expectantly. As scripture says, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one 
who provides both seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. The one who puts food on the table is the one who gives us more than we need so that we can invest. God who provides for our rent or our mortgage payment is the one who enables us to have discretionary income so we can invest in his kingdom. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. He will provide, yes, but he will increase your resources as well. This has been used to manipulate people to give uncheerfully or very much under compulsion. If that's been your experience, I encourage you to put it aside. Don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Because look, just listen to what the Word of God says. He will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. See, kingdom generosity is self-reinforcing. The more we trust Jesus and express the blessed life, the more we live generously, the more God entrusts us with the ability to live even more so. It's like God's uh, a wealthy business owner entrusting funds for you to manage and you manage them in a way that brings an increase on his investment. Wouldn't he naturally, even if he were only self-interested, entrust more resources for your management? See, that's the way kingdom generosity works. It's self-reinforcing. We think we're giving it away so we have not. God looks at you and says, I have all resource access in the entire world at the tip of my fingers. Why wouldn't I entrust more to you as you give generously, holding it loosely, not forgetting that it's about the kingdom of God and the people for whom Jesus died? Why wouldn't I give more to you? God's a loving father. He's also a savvy businessman. And when you take your gifts to those who need them, oh, they will thank God. A harvest of abundant generosity is what he produces in us. And this is what I wish for you. I think about what Paul said. He's like, when he was telling the people in the, the Philippian church, I'm not looking for a gift for you, but I am interested, a gift from you rather, but I am interested in what might be credited to your account. I'm interested in how aligning with Jesus' idea of the blessed life, his generosity, how that's going to reshape you, how that's going to unentwine your soul from the false ideal of American prosperity and make you trust me more. I'm interested in how it's going to delight you when you see God at work through you and you see him resupply the coffers overflowing so you can be generous again. Five years later, our partnership in Waliso, Ethiopia has come to pass. Hundreds of kids currently and who have graduated from the program have been sponsored by you, our church family, have had the opportunity to experience God's redemption and transformation, not only in their lives, but in their generation, and now are contributing to the transformation of God in their country. What an incredible legacy 
He has begun through you there. And indeed, as we saw, the limiting factor became clear that it was the meager facilities that local church on the other end of the line had to offer. They gave what they had. They could hardly house the kids who were already in the program. And God's brought in hundreds more because of your generosity. But you know what? Over the years, we've been able to store up some of that money. Last year, your generosity overflowed to such an extent that we were able to send this summer in the midst of a global economic recession, tens of thousands of dollars to invest in growth expanding and improving the facilities there so that these kids can have the greatest opportunity to grow in everything Jesus has for them. And even that is just the beginning. And this is happening in partnerships in Ethiopia and in India, in Beirut and in Nicaragua on the borderlands of North Korea, in Southeast Asia, and right here in Denver, some of the most overlooked and underserved of our own city's people. There are no throwaway people. There's no people that Jesus doesn't care about or forgets about or says, ah, they're too far gone. Jesus Christ died on a cross so that you, me, and every one of the people God created in his image could have the chance of life, hope, peace, and freedom, purpose, and redemption. And this is the legacy you are creating. And so can we do it again this year? We spend that account down on purpose to zero or as close as we're able to to it. It's hard to navigate that to, to land the plane just in time for the legacy offering because then there's a hurricane in Nicaragua. Thank God that our team has managed those resources so responsibly. But we have the opportunity to fill up that war chest of blessing, of kingdom good again this year because God knows what 2021 looks like. You want to know the greatest irony of all? You gave the most overwhelming legacy offering in our church's history this day last year. And who had any idea what this year would look like for us and so many around the world? Maybe we had heard the word coronavirus once, like, some, like another SARS where they were going to wear masks in Taipei, but nobody knew what this was going to bring. Who knows what next year brings? We continue to live on a fallen planet where the enemy seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus, he came to give life abundantly. And he's giving that life through you. What a legacy you're leaving, amen? So here's what we're gonna do. We're going to pray. And then all who are willing, we're going to give together. We'll leave that fund open for the next little while so that you don't have to feel pressure today. Some of you are like the Bereans in the book of Acts. You're like, you know what? I need to talk to my significant other and I need to check with my finances and see where I can carve out a little money because I do live paycheck to paycheck. I need to see what I can do without for a little while. However you want to do that, we'll leave it open um, for the next several days. However, if the Lord's stirring in your heart, don't overthink it. This may be the kind of thing where we say, you know what? I'll think about it and get to it tomorrow and then we just forget. The Word of God says today, if you hear my voice, don't harden your hearts. And so simply go to denverunited.com, click on the little legacy button there, or you can watch the video if you need to uh, find out more about what we've done with your legacy dollars to invest in the kingdom of God in 2020. 
And then simply in the drop-down menu, select Legacy Offering. And those dollars will go entirely to the Legacy Fund for 2021. Amen. Would you stand with me? Let's pray over this giving together. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you that you don't create people for the scrap heap. Thank you that you don't give up on humankind. Thank you that every one of those children born in the slums of Ethiopia and the slums of so many impoverished nations of the world, people born in war-torn nations, people born into hopeless despair in the caste system, people sold into human trafficking who have survived those horrific conditions, and people who are in need because of natural disaster, like the coffee farmers in Nicaragua who just saw their lively wiped out for the year. Thank you that you see and carry every one of those needs. And thank you, Lord, that you've entrusted us with such riches that you have stored up in us, 21st century Americans, wealthy and and unwealthy as we know it alike, the capacity to be generous and participate in your kingdom as it grows and expands here and around the world. Lord, we entrust what we have to give to you now. I pray that you would speak to my friends' hearts. Lord, that we would feel no compulsion, no pressure or obligation, but strictly invitation. And I pray that you would grow our faith so that we would respond, Lord, and trust you, take you at your word, and see your abundance, that we could be your trusted kingdom investors. Lord, we want our lives to count for more than what we're able to carve out for ourselves. We want to leave a legacy. Thank you for putting us in this family of believers who have simply said yes. And so we commit ourselves to you for this purpose again this year. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's respond. We hope you've been encouraged this week. For more information or to submit a prayer request, go to denverunited.com. 